Chapter Twenty Two of the Secret City. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Secret City by Hugh Walpole. Chapter Twenty Two. And yet for the first half hour it really seemed that it would go very well indeed. It had been agreed that it was to be absolutely a family party, and Uncle Ivan, Semyonov, and Boris Grogov were the only additions to our number. Markovitch was there, of course, and I saw at once that he was eager to be agreeable and to be the best possible host. As I had often noticed before, there was something pathetic about Markovitch when he wished to be agreeable. He had neither the figure nor the presence with which to be fascinating, and he did not know in the least how to bring out his best points, especially when he tried, as he was sometimes ill-advised to do, to flirt with young girls. He was a dismal failure. He was intended by nature to be mysterious and malevolent, and had he only had a malevolent spirit there would have been no tragedy. But in the confused welter that he called his soul, malevolence was the least of the elements, and other things—love, sympathy, twisted self-pity, ambition, courage, and cowardice—drowned it. He was on his best behavior to-night, and over the points of his high white collar his peaked, ugly, anxious face peered, appealing to the fates for generosity. But the fates despise those who appeal. I very soon saw that he was on excellent terms with Semyonov, and this could only be, I was sure, because Semyonov had been flattering him. Very soon I learnt the truth. I was standing near the table, watching the company, when I found Markovitch at my side. "'Very glad you've come, Ivan Andreevich,' he said. "'I've been meaning to come and see you, only I've been too busy.' "'How's the ink getting along?' I asked him. "'Oh, the ink!' He brushed my words scornfully aside. No, that's nothing. We must postpone that to a more propitious time. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Ivan Andreevich, I've hit it at last. What is it this time, I asked. He could hardly speak for his excitement. It's wood, the bark, the bark of the tree, you know, a new kind of fibre for cloth. If I hadn't got to look after these people here, I'd take you and show you now. "'You're a clever fellow. You'd understand at once. "'I've been showing it to Alexey,' he nodded in the direction of Semyonov, "'and he entirely agrees with me that there is every kind of possibility in it. "'The thing will be to get the labor. That's the trouble nowadays. "'But I'll find somebody, one of these timber men. "'So that was it, was it? "'I looked across at Semyonov, who was now seated on Vera's right hand, "'just opposite Boris Grogov. He was very quiet, very still, looking about him, his square pale beard a kind of symbol of the secret immobility of his soul. I fancied that I detected behind his placidity an almost relieved self-satisfaction, as though things were going very much better than he had expected. "'So Alexey Petrovitch thinks well of it, does he?' I asked. "'Most enthusiastic,' answered Markovitch eagerly. "'He's gone into the thing thoroughly with me, "'and has made some admirable suggestions. 
Ivan Andreevich, I think I should tell you I misjudged him. I wasn't fair on what I said to you the other day about him. Or perhaps it is that being at the front has changed him, softened him a bit. His love affair there, you know, made him more sympathetic and kindly. I believe he means well to us all. Vera won't agree with me. She's more cynical than she used to be. I don't like that in her. She never had a suspicious nature before, but now she doesn't trust one. You don't tell her enough, I interrupted. Tell her? He looked at me doubtfully. What is there I should tell her? Everything, I answered. Everything? His eyes suddenly narrowed. His face was sharp and suspicious. Does she tell me everything? Answer me that, Ivan Andreevich. There was a time once, but now I give my confidences where I'm trusted. If she treated me fairly, there was no chance to say more. They called us to the table. I took my place between Nina and Ivan. As I have said, the supper began very merrily. Boris Grogoff was, I think, a little drunk when he arrived. At any rate, he was noisy from the very beginning. I have wondered often since whether he had any private knowledge that night which elated and excited him and was responsible in part, perhaps, for what presently occurred. It may well have been so, although at the time, of course, nothing of the kind occurred to me. Nina appeared to have recovered her spirits. She was sitting next to Lawrence, and chattered and laughed with him in her ordinary fashion. And now, stupidly enough, when I try to recall exactly the steps that led up to the catastrophe, I find it difficult to see things clearly. I remember that very quickly I was conscious that there was danger in the air. I was conscious of it first in the eyes of Semyonov, those steady, watching, relentless eyes, so aloof as to be inhuman. He was on the other side of the table, and suddenly I said to myself, he's expecting something to happen. Then, directly after that, I caught Vera's eye, and I saw that she too was anxious. She looked pale and tired and sad. I caught myself in the next instant saying to myself, Well, she's got Lawrence to look after her now. So readily does the spirit that is beyond one's grasp act above and outside one's poor human will. I saw then that the trouble was once again, as it had often been before, Grogoff. He was drinking heavily, the rather poor claret which Markovitch had managed to secure from somewhere. He addressed the world in general. "'I tell you that we're going to stop this filthy war,' he cried. "'And if our government won't do it, we'll take things into our own hands.' "'Well,' said Semyonov, smiling, "'that's a thing that no Russian has ever said before, for certain.' Everyone laughed, and Grogov flushed. "'Oh, it's easy to sneer,' he said. "'Just because there have been miserable cowards in Russian history, "'you think it will always be so. "'I tell you, it is not so. "'The time is coming when tyranny will topple from its throne, "'and will show Europe the way to liberty.' "'By which you mean,' said Semyonov, "'that you'll involve Russia in at least three more wars, "'in addition to the one she's at present so magnificently losing.' "'I tell you!' screamed Grogov, "'now so excited that he was standing on his feet "'and waving his glass in the air. 
that this time you have not cowards to deal with this will not be as it was in nineteen o five i know of what i'm speaking semyonov leant over the table and whispered something in markovitch's ear i had seen that markovitch had already been longing to speak he jumped up onto his feet fiercely excited his eyes flaming it's nonsense that you are talking sheer nonsense he cried russia's lost the war and all we who believed in her have our hearts broken russia won't be mended by a few vaporing idiots who talk and talk without taking action what do you call me screamed grogov i mention no names said markovitch his little eyes dancing with anger take it or no as you please but i say we have had enough of all this vaporing talk all this pretense of courage let us admit that freedom has failed in russia that she must now submit herself to the yoke coward coward screamed grogov it's you who are the coward cried markovitch call me that and i'll show you i do call you it there was an instant's pause during which we all of us had i suppose some idea of trying to intervene but it was too late Grokov raised his hand, and with all his force flung his glass at Markovitch. Markovitch ducked his head, and the glass smashed with a shattering tinkle on the wall behind him. We all cried out, but the only thing of which I was conscious was that Lawrence had sprung from his seat, had crossed to where Vera was standing, and had put his hand on her arm. She glanced up at him. That look which they exchanged, a look of revelation, of happiness, of sudden marvellous security, was so significant that I could have cried out to them both, Look out! Look out! But if I had cried, they would not have heard me. My next instinct was to turn to Markovitch. He was frowning, coughing a little, and feeling the top of his collar. His face was turned towards Grogov, and he was speaking. Could catch some words. No, right! In my own house! Boris! I apologize. Please don't think of it. But his eyes were not looking at Boris at all. They were turned towards Vera, staring at her, begging her, beseeching her. What had he seen? How much had he understood? And Nina and Semyonov? But at once, in a way most truly Russian, the atmosphere had changed. It was Nina who controlled the situation. Boris, she cried, come here. We all waited in silence. He looked at her a little sulkily, his head hanging, but his eyes glancing up at her. He seemed nothing then but a boy caught in some misdemeanor, obstinate, sulky, but ready to make peace if a chance were offered him. Boris, come here! He moved across to her, looking her full in the face, his mouth sulky, but his eyes rebelliously smiling. Well, well! She stood away from the table, drawn to her full height, her eyes commanding him. How dare you, Boris, how dare you, my birthday, mine, and you've spoiled it, spoiled it all. Come here, up close. He came to her until his hands were almost on her body. He hung his head, standing over her. She stood back as though she were going to strike him. Then suddenly with a laugh she sprang upon the chair beside her, flung her arms round his neck, and kissed him. 
then still standing on the chair turned and faced us all now that's enough all of you michael uncle ivan uncle alexey durdles how dare you all of you you're all as bad every one of you i'll punish all of you if we have any more politics beastly politics what do they matter it's my birthday my birthday i tell you it shan't be spoiled she seemed to me so excited as not to know what she was saying what had she seen what did she know meanwhile grogoff was elated wildly pleased like a boy who contrary to all his expectations had won a prize he went up to markovitch with his hand out nicholas forgive me prestite i forgot myself i'm ashamed my abominable temper we are friends you are right too we talk here in russia too much far too much and when the moment comes for action we shrink back we see too far perhaps who knows but you are right and i am a fool you've taught me a lesson by your nobility thank you nicholas and all of you i apologize to all of you we moved away from the table vera came over to us and then sat on the sofa with her arm around nina's neck nina was very quiet now sitting there her cheeks flushed smiling but as though she were thinking of something quite different someone proposed that we should play petit chevaux we gathered around the table and soon everyone was laughing and gambling only once i looked up and saw that markovitch was gazing at vera and once again i looked at vera and saw that she was staring before her seeing nothing lost in some vision but it was not of markovitch that she was thinking i was the first to leave i said good-night to everyone i could hear their laughter as i waited at the bottom of the stairs for the dvornik to let me out but when i was in the street the world was breathlessly still i walked up the prospect no soul was in sight only the scattered lamps the pale snow and the houses at the end of the canal i stopped the silence was intense it seemed to me then that in the very centre of the canal the ice suddenly cracked slowly pulled apart leaving a still pool of black water the water slowly stirred rippled then a long horned and scaly head pushed up i could see the shining scales on its thick side and the ribbed horn on the back of the neck beneath it the water stirred and heaved with dead glazed eyes it stared upon the world then slowly as though it were drawn from below it sank the water rippled in narrowing circles then all was still the moon came out from behind filmy shadow the world was intensely light and i saw that the ice of the canal had never been broken and that no pool of black water caught the moon's rays it was fiercely cold and i hurried home pulling my shuba more closely about me End of chapter twenty two